a global financial hub with giant skyscrapers, jet-setting corporate elites, and a government that will fine you for everything from chewing gum to owning a pet cat. Singapore, or as I like to call it, what happens when New York and Beijing have a baby? Singapore is in many ways a remarkable success story. In just a few decades, it's gone from one of the poorest to one of the wealthiest countries in Asia, all while enjoying one of the lowest crime rates in the world and over 60 years of uninterrupted political stability, which is no small feat in the region. But all that success has come at a cost. In 2021, Singapore's parliament passed the Foreign Interference Countermeasures Act, which gives the government sweeping powers to censor online content, something critics allege limits free speech. Singapore is also home to some of the harshest penalties for minor crimes, where corporal punishment is still practiced in the form of public canings. And recently, the state executed a man with an intellectual disability for the crime of smuggling three tablespoons of dimorphine into the country. Singapore's rapid economic growth also wouldn't have been possible without its many migrant workers serving as maids, cooks, and drivers, six out of ten of whom have faced abuse, according to a 2017 study by researchers across borders. As a new generation of digital natives comes of age in Singapore, with information and social networks at their fingertips, will the island nation embrace a more liberal way of life? Or is the status quo working? And are people happy to continue sacrificing some personal liberties in exchange for security and stability? I'm your host, Priyank Mathur, and this is Comedians Explain the World. Today, I'm joined by one of Singapore's most beloved comedy duos, Harish Talani and Terence Chia. They run the incredibly popular YouTube channel, Ministry of Funny. They created the hit TV show, She's a Terrorist and I Love Her, which I hear rumors due to popular demand might be back. And they're hosts of the country's most downloaded comedy podcast, Yeah La But. Terrence and Harish, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having wow. us, Priyank. <laughs> yeah, what an intro, man. What an intro. <laughs> I have to say, I, I like I I was like getting nervous because I, I feel like I'm being set up for, yeah. for like some hard talk, BBC hard talk. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm gonna get punished after this podcast just based on yeah. how you set up Singapore, man. Oh like, no, 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 no. I, I, had, I had nothing to do with the institution of the death penalty. <laughs> death penalty oh, wasn't me. And the abuse. Oh, I don't yeah. think Harish was responsible for the abuse either. Just a disclaimer, if anyone from the government, which they definitely are, is listening. Um, no, but I I mean, I love Singapore. I, uh, I, I, you guys know we met. We've known each other for many years, and mm. it's funny. I remember when I first came across your work. I remember thinking, like, I heard the name of your comedy group, Ministry of Funny, and I remember thinking, you know, if this was any other country, that's definitely a joke. But yeah. in Singapore, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they actually have a Ministry of Funny that decides what you can laugh at and what you can't. Um, <laughs> And government's pretty strict, but like I said in the intro, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, really, really nice perks about living in Singapore, and there's a lot going for it. So, you know, I meant what I said that it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough question. You know, um, what are people willing to give up um, uh, in exchange for security and stability? And I think, um, I think the government's done an excellent job of obviously keeping people happy. Um, I don't know if you would agree. Um, I think, I think by and large. Uh, they have done a good job. Of course, there's a ton of issues. There's a ton of issues with politics. There's a ton of issues with press freedom and media. But I think it's not as bad as people may think. You know, like everything you said in the intro, I've read in articles uh, from other countries talking about Singapore. But if you come to Singapore, you, you do see some of that. Uh, but there's also a whole bunch of other stuff that 
that people might not see unless they, they come here or they really dig deep, la, which is why podcasts like this are important. La. Yeah, and I always I always point people to... I look, I mean, yeah, you read about all these things at Disneyland of the death penalty, but if you really <laughs> think about what happened the last two years, like, you know, if... It, you know, I mean, I, I had my vaccination I on a Friday evening. I just rolled up to the neighborhood community center, you know, queued up for about five minutes. And I got my, you know, my vaccination, free vaccination uh, and everything. And, and, you know, I just went home after that. And, never, you know, through the whole, the whole two years of COVID, it just, everything was just so chill in Singapore, you know. Uh, you know, and I, I mean, compared to where, how it is in whatever place you're, you're coming from, uh, yeah, you got to think about what the, the kind of things that, that are important to you, you know, your safety of your family and all that. And yeah, and, and really think about how, how important that is to you in your life. Yeah, but it is something that I think a lot of people do think about in Singapore. It's like things are good, but at what cost? La? And then it's just mm. a constant like wing. As you get older, maybe those things shift. Uh, you know, when you're young, certain priorities here and there. Um, I remember when, when like uh, even like chewing gum, right? We can't get chewing gum. I f***ing love chewing gum. Um, so it's one of those things that that you always have at the back of your mind, la. like hmm. Yeah. And the grass is always greener, la. The grass is always greener. Yeah, mm. uh, you guys can't uh, it's, see it's, this it's, at home, but uh, but but Harish is being arrested right now. So yeah, because he swore, right? <laughs> yeah, and he admitted to podcast, loving chewing gum. Yeah. I have about four minutes before they arrive, so we yeah, yeah if we could move things along. That would be great. <laughs> no swearing, when Harish. Yeah, yeah, the wrong, wrong country. Uh, but you know, most most Singaporeans who leave to go to an Ivy League school in the U.S. don't come back and become comedians. But mm. that's exactly what you both did after graduating from the University of Pennsylvania. Mm. And, and your kind of unusual story, in a way, perfectly captures the story of comedy in Singapore. Because, you know, Singapore is known for a lot of things. Like I said in the intro, you know, efficient government, uh, finance. Um, uh, but, but you wouldn't necessarily associate comedy with a place like that. And yet, Singapore's comedy scene is thriving and growing fast. And you guys know all about that. So talk a little bit about your journey and what it means to be a comedian in a place like Singapore today. Mm. Terrence, you, you want to go first? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I was just I was just thought it's interesting that you're saying that the comedy scene is thriving here. I, I think uh, probably more accurately is that, uh, you know, there's, there's a sandbox within which uh, the comedians are all playing. And I think over the past decade or so, people have started to really push the boundaries of that, uh, you know, test the boundaries of that sandbox as well. And uh, in that sense, it's, it's thriving in that no, we, you know, we never used to, nobody used to test those boundaries uh, to such an extent. But in the last 10 years, I think people are coming out of woodwork and realizing, hey, I can, I can you know, come right to the edge and step out a little bit once in a while. And uh, yeah, you don't get shot or arrested immediately. Not immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, not immediately. Yeah. The, <laughs> the reason I asked Terrence to go first is because if, if I told like the my story first, it probably wouldn't be the best setup for Singapore because your question about why we came back to become comedians, right? Uh, I actually came back to Singapore because I had to. <laughs> I was bonded to the company that kind of um, like gave me a chance to go study abroad for four years. So... When I tell people uh, at school that concept, right? They're like, wait, what do you mean? You have to go back and work for this company for four years. Uh, I was like, yeah, they're paying for my education at this school. So in some way, to get the chance to go abroad at the expense of knowing that, okay, you have to come back and work was also something that, I don't know how many countries do that, 
Um, so it's it's almost like like that's much very much like the ethos of Singapore to a certain extent. Like you get like you get this, but you kind of get have to do that. So so when and Terence and I kept in touch and and in some way the the nature of Singapore being quite you know there are the, the rule of law does is very powerful. People are kind of uh not not as 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 the unique things about the culture but therein lies a lot of comedy like there's so much comedy there uh our earliest videos that used to go viral were the ones where we are on the street just talking to people and and just putting them in awkward situations and and making that kind of like drawing the comedy out of that so there's so oh, much you know, comedy Harsh, in Singapore. yeah Harsh, you just, you made you made your your scholarship sound like uh forced labor like you're forced yeah, to come back to Singapore. You sound like the only local Singaporean who is a foreign domestic worker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, this image of Harish working in a mine after coming back from his Ivy League education. Oh, know? yeah. No, no, no. It, it wasn't like, a mine. Like, it was a mine. It was, yeah, a, big it was a pretty cushy. Yeah. It was a pretty cushy job, even though it was uh, yeah, so-called forced labor, like, right? Yeah, I would I would that I wouldn't say it was forced labor. It's just that uh yeah, like you had you had to come back because you're born, then you have to pay off the, the debt of the student loans and all. And even now looking at the situation, coming away from studying at an Ivy League school without student debt also seems to be like a luxury, right? Like that's such a huge mm. problem in the US. So yeah. so it definitely wasn't forced labor. It was a good job. Not yeah. my primary but like job of choice, but it was a good job. It was a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't okay. forced labor. And Terence, was that? Were you also bonded to a company, or did you? Uh, no, back? no, no. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I had the freedom to, to come and go as I please. I mean, I did work in the U.S. for a few years, but, uh, I, I always knew that. Um, somehow I always knew that that all paths would lead back, uh, to home as well, because I, I always believed like you know if 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 you've had a chance to, go out there, see the world, and 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 work, you should. You know, think about coming home and think about how you can make things better at home as well. And Singapore is a small place. You know, we don't have a lot of uh, a lot of people. We don't have a lot of uh, talent. So, yeah, I I decided to take my talents and bring them back to Singapore. Yeah, kind of like <laughs> the LeBron it, James of comedy. Yeah. I thought it was because your ankle bracelet started to beep. You know, the two years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you had to come back to Singapore. You know, you were getting yeah, yeah, electrocuted yeah. once every hour. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah. uh no, I mean it, it was it really was a innate sense of. Of uh yeah, wanting to come back and and help help uh the comedy scene in Singapore. Oh, that's very, <laughs> is it? That's very uh, patriotic. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what every country, that's what every prime minister oh. dreams of. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, yeah. If, if our if our expats just came back and made comedy, you know, but um. <laughs> But you know, it, it, listen. In all seriousness, you guys—you actually are doing comedy that you know, not to sound corny, but that is trying to make Singapore better, and that is talking about really important social issues. Like, I know some of your videos that you've put out. Many of them, um, you've put out videos that use humor to try and call out racism and xenophobia and intolerance. So, what has been the reaction to those kinds of videos? Um, I would say generally positive. Of course, in the world, the internet world, you will always get like harsh comments or people who disagree with you. But yeah, generally positive. We haven't gotten cancelled yet. Uh, mm. So because we also put in a lot of thought before we make any video that touches a, a, a raw nerve. Because um, mm. we don't want to set up ourselves for backlash. So whatever we can, we try and minimize the risk. And if shit happens, 
uh, shit happens. Lah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we were just talking earlier and, and we sound like we're super woke comedians or something like that. But actually, I just want to clarify that most people who get into comedy actually comes from a very dark place. It comes mm. from a where, where you're actually dealing with your own demons and that's what you're trying to do out there. You're trying to just find other people who find your sense of humor funny, you know, who find the same things that you find funny. And a lot of the source of comedy is from your own, uh, you know, your own pet peeves and things you've experienced. So, you know, Harish and I, we, we've seen we've seen things about racism about xenophobia even ourselves when we're overseas as well we've experienced it too so we, we thought this you know as, as, as clean and green as Singapore is definitely there's there's all these things going on so nobody's talking about it so why not use comedy to talk about it ourselves yeah it, it always stems from something that we felt um, and I wouldn't say we are super woke at least on the woke scale of today it's just mm. if we were pissed off about something we saw some comedy there why not make a uh, something about it? Like it still talks about it, but also makes people laugh. Yeah, I mean, I um, I think that's really difficult to do, and it's impressive you've been able to do that. Um, I think one of the thoughts a lot of people have when they hear like comedy in Singapore, like you mentioned, rule of law, rules, very strong there. Comedy in in one sense is about kind of doing unconventional things and seeing things from a different perspective, not necessarily breaking taboos but at least questioning authority, questioning the status quo. Um, have you ever found that, you know, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think comedy serves a really important outlet in Singapore because the culture can sometimes be very um, uh, sort of strict and, and keen on discipline? Do you think comedy and comedy clubs and comedy videos and comedy films and TV shows serve a really a heightened uh, importance in that sense of being able to let people kind of put their hair down and, and express themselves? Um, or do you think that comedy also is is quite impacted by the culture of, of, uh, of, of being sort of strict adherence to rules in Singapore? And do you think that um, com- comedy also kind of reflects that? Is, it, is comedy a, um, a much needed outlet for people in Singapore? Or is it something that... Um, also has become part of, uh, you know, has been co-opted into Singapore's culture of sort of sticking to the rules and coloring inside the lines. I, I think uh, actually it's uh, today, uh, this year is the 10 year anniversary of, a, of an international survey that found Singapore as the most emotionless country in the world. So that was the landscape that we were playing in 10 years ago, where, you know, it wasn't about whether people were happy or sad. It was just that they were generally emotionless. Uh, at least there's a public perception of things. So I think in, like, like when we mentioned about the last decade of people testing boundaries, what we found out is that it's not that people are emotionless. It's just that they're, they're really passive aggressive about, about, you know, expressing their emotions. So one good thing about comedy is that, you know, it, 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 it disarms people. It makes them more vulnerable to new ideas and, and listening to different perspectives as well. So I think in the last 10 years, uh, comedians in Singapore have been trying to do that. I mean, ourselves included, you know, with going on the street and, and trying, to get emotion, trying to get emotions out of people and showing that showing the world that Singaporeans aren't emotionless. We just, you know, don't like confrontation that much. But we do have a sense of humor as well. And, and I think like, comedy is so important uh, in, in Singapore. I mean, I'm assuming it's important in every country, but especially so in Singapore. Um, but that being said, if you go into comedy, like let's say for TV, right now there's one major broadcasting network and because of that, you have to play within their sandbox. La. So you can't really do the edgiest stuff there, uh, which is why 
the 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 alternative um like formats in Singapore are actually uh growing quite fast lah. I wouldn't say thriving thriving, but there is momentum and that would be like uh YouTube videos, uh TikTok, podcasts. Um so that's where I think comedians can more freely express themselves. Um and yeah, it, it's it's an interesting balance lah. And every content creator, every comedian in Singapore knows of that balance. Um and it's just almost like making sure you do the alternative stuff. Because sometimes, yeah, to earn a living, you need to do some of the mainstream mainstream stuff. Yeah, so so there, there is that balance, and I think slowly it's changing. Slowly it's changing. So it's interesting you talk about that. That it's slowly it's changing. Um, you guys have been back in Singapore. You've been making comedy videos and and sort of in the world of comedy for many years now. Have you noticed a change in terms of what people are comfortable laughing at, or what topics are? Uh, you're allowed to sort of breach and what you're not in terms of comedy or or no change or things still pretty static mm, interesting um, I mean one thing for sure is politicians here themselves have also realized that they can't stay you know uh, away from social media right social media is a big part of their communications and they you know they're even setting up TikTok accounts they're they're doing TikTok dances as, as well so they all they all know that all this is part of the game, you know, appearing personable and and appearing vulnerable in some sense. So I mean, and that's what comedians like to do, right? They like to make fun of punch up. They like to punch up and to make fun of people in power as well. So I think people have gotten more comfortable with the idea of like uh, you know making political jokes, making jokes about uh, public figures and politicians. Uh, you know, like like when Lee Kuan Yew passed away. Uh, what? I think it's like seven years ago, mm. seven or eight years ago, six or seven years ago. I think, uh, you know, there was a very big like, uh, oh, you know, thou shalt not say anything bad about him. And, and you know, people got literally got, uh, you know, their lives ruined after they made, you know, videos criticizing Lee Kuan Yew and all that. We're talking about Amos Yee in general. Mm. Uh, but yeah, since then, I think, uh, yeah, the, the scene has opened up quite a bit and people realize that, yeah, you can't, you can't uh, you can't have a strategy of like trying to contain all the the bad news about yourself and and all that. You gotta just roll with the punches and 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 you know work with entertainers, work with comedians as well to try and uh, to try and uh, build up your public image uh, differently for for the next generation of people. But but at the same time, right? Um, I think mm. why well, well, I think that's an interesting question because as much as yeah. Uh, you can see politicians and leaders all engaging in like more comedy stuff because they are engaging. I feel like the sandbox shrinks a bit um, because now they are, it's almost like comedy is becoming more mainstream, like that sort of comedy. And, and of course now with the, there are certain areas where if you want to joke about, you have to be very careful. So I think there is a bit less freedom there. So the way I see it is like people who really want to pursue comedy and all, they're always trying to like like outrun the pack. Um, and the pack being like maybe the general people who maybe might not watch comedy last time who are now okay, seeing comedy everywhere. So yeah, they, they're starting to enjoy comedy. The people who get involved in comedy, then that becomes kind of like more sanitized. And then the comedians are trying to outrun the pack. And then as as the this this as things become more mainstream, it's always about outrunning. Like. So I think while people are more open to hearing jokes about, say, politics, there are also more things you can't say. And it's about finding the things that you can joke 
Or even if you want to joke about things that you can't say, you do it in a way that's skillful enough. I, I think that, that also uh, is also partially because of uh, a government's understanding of social media as well, right? Mm, true, now true, they're true. literally instituting more, more controls on social media, what you can say or do on social media. So you can't get away with a lot of offensive speech online now as you as you could in the past. Maybe you know you could be anonymous on a forum and all that. Now, you know, there's a lot of things that they can they can force social media companies to reveal your, your IP address and things like that. So in that sense, yeah, I agree that uh that you have to watch what you say. Uh even under the 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 supposed cloak of anonymity on the internet as well. You have to so, watch what you say. But but yeah, but just to add like I know Darren saying that makes Singapore sound like a fucking dystopian kind of place. Uh but if you're not from Singapore, I think that what he said applies to a lot of countries. It's not mm. just Singapore. Uh, you see it happening yeah. in the US, in the UK. So yeah, it's just yeah, that 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 is not a thing that's unique to us. Right? But yes. but there are, I mean like like Priyang mentioned about the you know Pofma and all these oh yeah uh, yeah that one that one really those are quite quite <laughs> yeah. uniquely Singapore we have to say that is right? our badges of honor our badges yeah. of honor correct <laughs> right, right well it's I mean on the plus side like one of the things that uh, it's not China in the sense that the government is not restricting a lot of foreign content online right so you mm. can still watch uh, Saturday Night Live you can still watch irreverent Western comedy or comedy from India or wherever. Um, So that's a really unique thing about Singapore is that in terms of, like you said, the government has recently introduced measures to bring in a lot of censorship online, but at the same time, they're not stopping you from watching stuff from outside the way China is. So Mm. um, how do, how do you think that's going to play out? Cause you now have a generation for the first time, like Gen Z, that grew up with smartphones, that grew up exposed to American Western comedy and TikTokers and stuff like that, but they have to subscribe to these local restrictions on what you can and cannot say. Previous generations in Singapore may have had similar restrictions, but they didn't grow up watching so much foreign content. So are you noticing in the creator community a tension there? And and how do you think that's going to play out? Mm. I, I think there is a chance it might push people to extremes. La. In the sense that, I think just this past month, early July, there's now talk of a, of a new bill to where there will, the, the media authority of Singapore can kind of deem what is uh, not suitable for youth below the age of 18 and all the tech platforms have to take them down. Like they are, so in some way, they are ordered by an arm of the government. La. So when we look at that, we're like, oh, okay, totally. I mean, some on the internet, there should be a bit more regulations to a certain extent, I feel. So it feels like, okay, the intention is there, but the way they're doing it is a bit too, like, um, too top-down. And looking at what's happening amongst the Gen Zs, though, there is a greater, maybe anti-establishment kind of feel. And I think it's going to be pushing them further away. So unfortunately, I think it's going to be while generally there's going to be more regulation online, there's also going to be people pushed to the extreme of like, you know what, screw this shit. We are just going to get even more edgy, even more extreme. And then the government will try and catch up. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, I think this, uh, this uh, issue is probably best analyzed through the lens of something that, uh, you know, something we're all quite familiar with, which is pornography. Uh, mm. You know, Singapore has a, mm. uh, Singapore famously, when the internet first came around, had like 100 websites that were banned in Singapore, you know, and included playboy.com. So, oh, you know, shit, like uh, back then people were like, oh, I can't go to Playboy, I can't can't find pornography in Singapore, you know, that kind of thing. I have to go and 
go and get my magazines, uh, those magazines from the US or whatever, and import them illegally to Singapore. But, but, but I mean, people still try find find a way to get around that ban of hundred websites, like, you know, VPNs and all. But now you look at the, you look at Gen Zs these days and all that. They literally, they literally are setting up OnlyFans accounts. They're creating content and they know that yeah, a lot of this stuff is in the gray area of legality in Singapore. But you know, it's it's. I'm I'm just gonna put it out there, and if something happens to me, I'll I'll not only fight it in in the you know the legal system, but I'll fight it in the courts of, uh, the court of public opinion as well. You know the the like for example the biggest OnlyFans creator in Singapore, Titus Low. I think he got in trouble with the police recently, but he's still mm-hmm. churning the content out. He doesn't care, man. That's that's the Gen Z mentality, right? Whereas yeah. like I think previous generations were like, oh shit, you know we we know this is illegal. Let's just do it on the download. Don't 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 put it out there on social media. You know we'll meet up for the pizza party and then you push aside your your hidden. You, we'll we'll bring out your hidden stash of pornography and all that. But now kids are just like, oh you know it's it's out there. Everyone's doing it. You know what? Why why even try to pretend like you're not doing it, right? Yeah, but then that's where it gets tricky, right? Because last time it used to be in the download, but then now yeah. that it's on a platform, a tech platform. Where the government can be like, oh, okay, let's let's check this out. You know, the like yeah. the pizza party analogy. I don't know whether that happens in other countries, but Singapore it does like The pizza party back then, back then, in the nineties, <laughs> right? Back like like you 90s. had that one friend who had like a hidden stash of Playboy <laughs> yeah. or, or Penthouse. Everybody magazines. has that one friend. Yeah, everybody <laughs> has that one friend. So, but yeah, it, it couldn't be kind of like regulated per se, like. But right now with OnlyFans, it is a platform where you know the content is there. And the guy Terence mentioned, Titus Low, he did get arrested for for sharing pornographic content. So then it became a very tricky thing because it is illegal by the Singapore constitution to create and share pornographic material. But he's putting it behind a paywall. So then it becomes this weird-ass thing. And like what Terence said, I think uh, looking at him, looking at other creators, they're like, yo, this I'm, I'm totally fine doing it. It's within my control. It's not a sex tape leak or something. What's the big deal? So it's it's in some way, you would never have seen that maybe a generation ago where people are that comfortable sharing their own dick pics and shit like that. But the government also wouldn't have been clamping down that hard. Lah. So it's like, it's setting it up for like this, this uh, Avengers. What was the Avengers battle between the two factions? Thanos Civil War. Yeah. But I mean, but actually, yeah. it, in some sense, like there are these young creators, they're even using, you know, the fact that they're getting arrested or that they're using that to oh, their yeah, advantage, correct. right? It's like, <laughs> like, there's no such thing as bad PR. They're literally yeah. playing that line in, in what they're doing. Like, oh, I got arrested, yes. And you know, now there's a whole bunch of people that want to interview me about, about it and all. And, yeah, and, and then you insta story the whole process. And right. people are curious. Yeah. It, it, it actually works. Like it it seems to work out for them. Like this guy, Terrence, mm. uh, sorry, uh, Titus like Lowe. <laughs> is, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, also like, me, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but check out my you know. own sense <laughs> No, but what I'm about to say, you might wish that I, I uh, you might take it as a compliment, Terrence, because Titus Lowe, I mean, I was reading, yeah, he got, you know, he got arrested and all that for his OnlyFans face. But the guy drives an AMG Mercedes. You know, he launched his own line of NFTs. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, exactly. calling it up, like you look at his picture. So if you're a young Gen Z, you know, if you're a teenager and you're looking at that example, you're like, okay, so the guy got arrested, but he like shot into fame. He's making tons of money. He's living the mm. high life. Um, yeah. Why would they be scared of doing this? Exactly. And it seems like yeah. a net positive. Yeah. So, so, so you the, compare yeah. that to, sorry, but no, really you compare that to what happened just a couple of years ago where there was a local television program in Singapore uh, where comedians were spitballing and making fun of uh, local politics. They, then one of them, I think they made, a, they made fun of uh, the then Malaysia Prime Minister, Najib. Yeah. And literally that became, an, uh, that became an international incident where 
the the broadcaster had to get those two comedians to go on a video and apologize uh to the to the Malaysians and the mm. Malaysian Prime Minister for that. So can you imagine that like how Gen Z would react to something like that? They'd totally be all over I mean those creators the Gen Z creators be all over that 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 hoo-ha and there's no way that they'd be apologizing for what they do. Yeah, and the joke was damn harmless. Yeah. And the show was successful and he didn't come back for a second season because of that. And the guy who was involved, he lost like business in Malaysia, which you look at it, you're like, what the hell happened? But like, exactly, like uh, now it almost feels when people uh, who are young, who, you know, uh, fight for a cause online and they get kind of in trouble with the law, it is a badge of honor. It's almost like the, the new Instagram blue tick, right? The blue is like the police kind of like arrest warrant, right? But, but that's what's so weird. I mean, you know, that's happening yeah. all over the world, but it's especially strange to see that happening in Singapore for, for a country yeah. that where like, you know, it was never cool to break the rules in Singapore. Like uh, even being a bad, you know, being a rebel or whatever, you kind of stayed within a certain boundary. But now you've got folks like Titus Lowe who are just openly flouting the rules. And yeah. I don't know where that takes Singapore. It's going to end up being a very different culture, maybe, you know, a few yeah. years from now when Gen Z is sort of deeply embedded in the cultural fabric um, than what it has been. And I wonder how older generations of Singaporeans um, or even the government is going to react because you have to think the Titus Low thing relatively harmful. But tomorrow, if someone says something, you know, that the government takes serious offense to or that has political implications, um, I don't know. How, what What does a showdown between someone like a Titus Lowe and, and you know, the Singaporean government look like? I, I don't know, but I don't think I want to find out. But that's why you see these sort of policies come up where, okay, it's giving like these uh, government ministries a little more power to clamp down on content like that, which, which is sad because there are a lot of good initiatives by the government to spur on media, to support content creators, even though, but the way they execute it is different. And yeah, it, it just feels like it's setting up this this polar opposites. Um, but but I, I think yeah, what you say is true. You see that anti-establishment feel throughout throughout the world. Like when the police show up at my door in four minutes, I'm totally gonna vlog it, man. Gonna insta story that shit. Uh, make a TikTok and and stuff. See, like that, I don't right? think you will. I think you're too. You're you're a good millennial boy. Like you don't. You weren't raised like that. You know. You're gonna be like, yes, sir, officer. I'm yes, so sir. sorry. Take me now. I, I will delete I, my account. I didn't, I didn't mean it. I, I I mean you will write. I hate chewing gum on the blackboard a hundred yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, I do not chew. Yeah, I yeah, do not chew but, gum. But I, I mean, chew gum. it's kind of um, you know, we 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 talk about the government like this. This scary people, scary bunch of people mm. who don't know what they're doing. But at the same time, like who knows how to handle this? Like who, which government has been able to keep big tech under control? You know, and Singapore is doing its thing, but um, everyone's just sort of like feeling around the dark. And like Facebook's like, oh yeah, freedom of speech. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do anything. And then, and then Singapore government's like, okay, like how do we deal with that? Right? We want mm -hmm. Facebook to be here. We want Facebook to have offices here and hire Singaporeans. But like, how do you control what they put as content on on Facebook? Right? So, it, it, that's where like. Uh, it's it's uh, more than just the government that needs to to do something. I think like you know we we uh, we as people also kind of need big tech to also uh, you know use their resources and and the, the the smart people that they hire to try and tackle these problems as well. Because at the end of the day, like yeah, we we talk about censorship as if it's a uh, the worst thing in the world. But but you know now that you know I've got a kid and everything, I also think a lot about you know what do I expose my kid to and when can I expose him to to you know OnlyFans and, and not that I'm trying to teach him. 
to use the OnlyFans platform. It's a weird thing to think, OnlyFans. You have like a five-year-old and it's weird to just be like, when can I introduce him to OnlyFans? You'd rather be the one to bring him into it rather than he discover it himself and then like, there's no context, right? For sure. No, I get what you're saying. And it's funny because Singapore's government is actually uniquely poised to take on big tech in a way because Mm. a lot of people might not know this, but so first of all, Singapore's government has been by so many metrics, incredibly successful, like over Mm -hmm. decades, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is a part of the world. Your neighbors have all gone through major political instability. There's been major periods of poverty in all those countries. And yet Singapore's kind of been this lone shining example. And one of the big factors you have to give credit where it's due is like, I, I think one of the most impressive things about Singapore's government is that they managed to consistently hire top talent. And mm. I've, I mean, I've worked with governments in my job around the world. And, and that's always something government officials complain about is that how do we compete with private sector, you know, employers and get sort of the, the, the top brass from the top universities. Singapore is such a logical way of doing it. People may not realize, but if you're a civil servant in Singapore, your performance bonus, like your salary, a big part of it is tied to the GDP of the country. You know, like how smart is that? I mean, let's mm. it, it, it's like tying the salary of a sales executive to a company's revenue. And um, it works, you know, in, in the same way that you are incentivizing people. Um, Singapore's government doesn't try to say, oh, you know, you have to sacrifice this or that to join the government. They say, no, join the government. We'll pay you well. Um, you're, yeah. you know, we'll be efficient. And, and as a result, you've got folks who, if I was a Facebook or a Google, I would be, you know, I would, I would not take lightly the Singaporean government because I know that I'm dealing with folks um, who are very motivated, very intelligent. Um, and, and in a way, I think that it's always interesting for me to watch what the Singaporean government is doing with big tech because, because that's the only government in the world I know that hires the same kind of people that big mm. tech would hire. So it's a really mm-hmm. evenly matched battle that I find fascinating. But yeah. but just actually just curious philosophically, uh, you know, what do you think of that concept of like a public servant? Uh, that oh, a public servant needs to take a, a discount on his paycheck because it's in the spirit of public service. Whereas in Singapore, it's about oh, I need to hire the top talent, so I need to pay them uh, top dollar as well, like what what the big tech firms are paying. What do you feel about that? I mean, personally, I think it's a great idea. Like, I I think most of the, a lot of the problems in government, anybody who has dealt with any government outside of Singapore can probably relate to this, is that sometimes you don't know what the bureaucrats' motivation is. They don't have a motivation. Like, if they don't process your form, or if they do, they're going to get paid the same, you know? Like, there are so mm. few penalties for bad performance in most governments. Um, Mm. And so I think tying someone's compensation to something like GDP or, you know, even just a department, uh, how well the department does or something does at least give them that incentive to do their job better. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'm too indoctrinated by capitalism, but, but that's, that's how I think uh, it would work. Now, that being said, Singapore is a small country, so it's possible to do that because every government worker feels invested in the country's GDP. You try doing that in India or in the United States, and very soon you're going to have, you know, some worker in Des Moines who works for the Department of Agriculture mm. saying, why should I be punished for something happening 5,000 miles away in D.C. Yeah. Um, that mm. I have no control over? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of things that work for Singapore because it is a small country. And and I think the points that both of you brought up are very important. And those points being that um, you do get capable and talented people who work in the government. And a lot of them actually... They do believe in making the country better. But um, Singapore is also in this unique space where 
yeah, they are trying to grapple with big tech and social media, the same things that every country does. And as much as it's easy to look at Singapore and say, oh, the policies are so harsh and all that, like, um, you, then you look around the world, right? And you're like, oh, shit, there's no country that's doing this right. And, and in Singapore, I mean, like, I love Singapore. As much as I complain about a lot of things in Singapore, I love Singapore. Um, and, and there are many things about it that you look at, you're like, okay, at least there, there's progress. And hopefully, it can be nudged in different ways. Like whether that bill gets passed to where, where they can enforce, uh, um, like decide what content is offensive, it is likely going to get, get passed, but you can be sure that people are going to push back. People are going to challenge that. And that is what is somewhat is, is encouraging. Like people are more willing to speak out. People are more willing to uh, gather and, 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 and fight for a cause of that uh, to, to, to kind of make sure that we don't just enforce these kind of stuff blindly. And, and to make sure that people still have a voice. I mean, it's no secret that Singapore's politicians, you know, are the highest paid in the world. Mm. Uh, I think the, the nuance here is that the way that their salary is calculated, it's currently pegged to, uh, I mean, it's pegged to, basically they, they've, they've pegged it to what the richest people in Singapore earn. Mm. So, so that's where, you know, the, the incentive like like as as opposed to pegging it to GDP or pegging it to median income. So you, when you peg it to the richest people in Singapore, the incentive there is to let's make you know make, make sure the rich people also get richer, right? Mm. So there's that slightly perverse incentive there that that causes other problems like inequality and 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 and, and also and, we were kind of stuck in this place where oh you know Singapore is an awesome place, rich people want to live here, billionaires want to move here. But because billionaires are moving here, you know, the price of everything is going up and inequality is going up as well. So, they, they, I mean, as, as good as it sounds, like how it works in uh, in Singapore, there's still room for improvement as well. Yeah. Mm. And and the time to the private, the, the richest people is not just the the ministers, it's everyone, is it? I mean, the minister's salary sort of determines all the, the rest of the civil mm-hmm. service as well, right? Yeah. Because I think, you know, like in some way, being a small country is good for Singapore. But then the downside is that when the cost of living goes up, you can't you can't go to a more remote part of the country, uh, where you can kind of still live your life at a lower cost. If the price goes up, the price goes up for everyone, which is why you see a lot of people who maybe like are wealthy. They want political stability. They want safety. They want cleanliness. Singapore is great, but what Terence brought up is also a very real thing. Like things are getting expensive in Singapore, man, and not everyone. That whole thing about trickle-down economics, that whole thing about the, the, the tide shifts, rises all, causes all the boats, whatever that, that thing is. Rising the, tide lifts all boats, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, that one also is not that clear that it's happening. La. And that yeah. is a big issue for Singapore. It, I mean, yeah. the, the great analogy, I mean, like when I lived in New York, right? I mean, I was uh, it was great because I was working in finance and I could pay, I could pay to live in uh, an apartment in, in New York City. But if you weren't working in finance, like at, at least you had the option to like move somewhere cheaper, right? Like I mean, move outside of the city itself. Whereas Singapore, you're, you're kind of just stuck in the. You just imagine you're, you're just stuck in Manhattan all the time, and you just mm. got to live with it. Just, you've got to find a way to pay the rent, even if you're not working in finance or whatever. And you just see billionaires, you know, buying up properties and moving in all around you. But you're like, oh shit, how do I pay the rent next month? Eh? Yeah. And that's especially hard if you're like a domestic foreign worker. And I know you guys have have feel strongly about this issue. This issue we've talked about it before, but there's a whole class of society in Singapore that doesn't often get talked about, or it's not on the posters at Changi Airport, and it's not what you associate 
but it's folks coming from places in Southeast Asia and South Asia and uh, sometimes beyond who are working as, you know, the, the least desirable jobs, so to say, um, mm. you know, as cooks, as maids, as drivers, as, as domestic help. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, if, if you're tying, if you're making the rich richer and driving property values up and there's no other place to go, the living conditions for them must be just getting worse and worse. Mm. Uh, wow. Okay. Let's well, yeah. since we're 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 going to that territory as well. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, it's something that every Singaporean has to has to uh, live with and square off, right? Like, I I I hire uh, for a foreign domestic uh, helper as well to help me take care of my family, uh, and and you know that's just something that we we have in Singapore. I even I as a kid as well, I grew up you know also being taken care of by. Uh, you know, a helper from the Philippines as well. So, you know, it's it's a uh, it's something that we live with in our country. But at the same time, I ask myself. I mean, I do I do talk to them and then and find out like, why do you want to come to Singapore, even though you know you know the conditions aren't the best, uh, aren't the best for in terms of compared to everywhere everyone else in Singapore and all. And it's hard for me to to impose my view on them that oh you know what you're doing here it's the least desirable job. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's they they they're they're sort of moving overseas. They're providing for their families. They're earning a lot more than what they would have earned at home, and they're able to go back and actually provide a, a pretty decent lifestyle. You know, literally buying property back home and providing for the university education for their children to try and get them, uh, you know, get them to move up the social mobility, that 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 the social ladder, uh, for the next generation. So. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to say outright that it's a bad thing that you know that they're coming to Singapore and 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 uh, and uh, earning lower wages than what locals earn in their in their white collar jobs. Uh. Uh, and it's a, I think if you go out there and speak to uh, uh, foreign domestic workers or for, or people foreign domestic uh, who who have moved to Singapore in recent years, like uh, just understanding their motivations as opposed to and, and understanding why they're here. Is just as important as also trying to advocate for for better conditions for them. Because I, I do agree that there are a lot of employers, there are a lot of uh, things that could be improved about their conditions here. But there's also understanding what they want as well is also pretty important to me. And and I think in I think where the issue stems, it's almost like the the structures that that enable that. Like because okay, in a perfect system, right? They they can earn more living in Singapore. Um, they can provide for their families back home. And you see that across many people who come to Singapore from South Asia, Southeast Asia. But where things get f***ed up is you get employers, for example, like for construction workers, right? Uh, you get a lot of people from South Asia uh, coming in as construction workers. And the stories we have heard, even from our own interviews with these construction workers, the 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 model by which they come to Singapore, their wage, their wage structure is messed up. And, and it almost feels like the policies and have not really caught up with the the amount of people who are in Singapore. Like I think even as a foreign worker in Singapore, you you there are systems in place with the Ministry of Manpower. There's there's worker rights and all, but it's not the strongest, unfortunately. And you see a lot of people slip through the cracks, and that causes a lot of issues, which makes the whole problem uh, worse, lah. Uh, because yeah, you you do get uh, activist groups fighting for that, and you do get. Um, stories of like you know employers really taking care of their foreign workers, but you get so many terrible stories. And ultimately, sometimes the employers uh, or like the construction companies they get away with it, lah. 
because yeah, and I, yeah the enforcement is is still lacking it still feels like it's lacking yeah and but but i i do think that things are uh improving maybe not at mm. the pace that, that that we hope for but you know there were very high profile cases like last year i a couple of years back the party liani case where mm. a domestic helper who was accused by her her pretty well to do and, and pretty well connected uh, employers of uh, accused of stealing you know things from the employer you know she was she was uh, sentenced to jail but ultimately she you know there were people who believed that actually it was just a employer employee dispute that went awry and eventually the the you know the courts actually agreed with her and they actually threw out i think they she 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 ended up uh, having you know the she she won the case in the end you know mm. so there, there there are instances like this where we see employers abusing abusing the the workers and and doing pretty nasty things and then you know uh, even using 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 weaponizing our legal system against them and, mm. and that's where uh, i think uh, People are starting to see these cases and starting to speak out against them. Our legal system is also starting to realize that hey, this is this isn't a right thing. Uh, you know, we we need to we need to do right by these people. So, and that's where uh, I do see certain even the institutions also improving their processes to tackle these issues. Yeah. Nice. Well, listen. Uh, to 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 kind of wrap things up, there's a little fun game that I thought we could play. Uh, it's a game oh, I shit, we went from like, yeah. well, we went from like yeah, something yeah. super serious to a little fun game. But that's the magic. <laughs> <laughs> what about a segue, Brian? Yeah. You know, that was no, a bit too listen, drastic. Listen, Harish, that's the magic of editing. Okay, the audience will never know. They'll never know. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, this podcast uh, will come out and it's seven minutes long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just goes from a tearful story of a migrant worker to fun game, game, everybody. Yeah. Fun games. Yeah. And then the pigeon dying outside my window. We haven't told yeah. the listeners about that, but this whole time there's been a pigeon yeah. dying outside my window. Sent Thankfully, by the Singapore government. Yeah, sent yeah. by the Singapore government. Actually, yeah, I think it's mm. a pigeon. Might be might be something <laughs> else. Um, but uh, this is a little fun game that, uh, that, that I invented um, uh, just a few hours ago, and it's called Fine or No Fine. So I'm mm. going to list some things and you've got to tell our listeners and maybe you you might be surprised yourself but I think you might know all of these. Yeah. I'm going to list something and you got to tell me is that a finable offense in Singapore or not. Mm. Okay? okay? Mm. I'm going to start with an easy one. This is a super easy one just to just so everybody plays the game and you at home can try to keep up. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Priyank, for not propagating stereotypes. No, no, Thanks. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you'll see. Some of these will surprise people pleasantly. Yeah. Is is it a fine? Can you be fined in Singapore for chewing gum? Okay, Terrence, why don't we alternate answers? Okay. You, you can uh, go first. Not for chewing gum. You get fined for selling or improperly disposing of chewing you gum. You see, that's why we do this, to dispel mm. stereotypes. People think yes. you get fined for chewing gum. That's not the case. I stand just, corrected, Briang. Thank you get, for your you noble, get, you get your noble cause. Yeah. Yeah. Like you someone runs spanked. up to you, pulls down your pants and you spanks you on the spot. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get arrested. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most desirable jobs in Singapore <laughs> is to become a spanking police officer. Spanker, yeah. Um, can you be fined for eating durian, the smelly fruit, on public transportation? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can. Welcome. Yeah. And I actually completely agree with that. Fine. Nobody should be able to eat that in front of other people. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, a lot of people don't actually know how yeah. bad durian smells, oh, right? It smells like, terrible. It's really yeah. bad. I mean, even like, and yeah, I enjoy eating it, but the smell of it in places it where is, it shouldn't be yeah. is terrible. Yeah. yeah here, here's very one. Overpowering. Terrence yeah. is a tough one. You might not even know. Yeah. Can you, can, 
Can two men share a urinal? Oh, uh, hmm. That you're asking, do you get fined for for sharing yeah. a urinal? Uh, no, I think it's fine to share a urinal. It is absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. totally fine. I just want everyone listening to know. Don't worry. You yeah. don't you live think, in fear. How do you think Darren's and I go to the go to pee? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like, thinks, I was exactly. like way too many people in the <laughs> bathroom. Exactly. The fact oh, that you guys crossing, end up no, as long as the cro- the swords don't cross, we're fine. You know. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, is is keeping a pet cat in an apartment a finable offense? Uh no, you're wrong. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I know. You're not oh, it is. Pet cats in HDBs. Yeah. Oh, I thought pet so, dogs. So cats, oh, yeah, pet yeah, cats, cats are cannot. discriminated against. Yeah, cats are discriminated oh, yeah, against. Yeah, yeah, correct. In public also, housing yeah. apartments, you can't. Yeah. Yeah, public and housing apartments, you can't. The last one are ripped jeans. Are you allowed to wear ripped jeans, or is that a finable offense? Uh, I think that depends on how ripped they are. Like how much of your skin or which part of your skin you're showing but generally no i don't think you're you get fined for that's correct you are free to wear ripped jeans and then march into a urinal with another man and share the hell out of it (laughs) but it depends on what you're showing which part of your ripped your ripped uh pants uh i think most people assume knees i mean we don't don't quite go to them I think most countries probably wouldn't allow people to walk around with ripped jeans showing their... their yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think public, public yeah. nudity is a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but right. I appreciate the uh, the question. Well, thank you very much for playing Fine or Not Fine. Uh, a new is this game. a game that you play with every other comedian from other countries as well? Because that, no. that actually is a... It's pretty funny if you, if yeah. you play with you know, like it's, Middle It's something I am, I am thinking of adding. We just did Switzerland... And Malaysia before this. Malaysia would have been fun because they have some mm. weird finds over yeah. there. Yeah, dude, you should um, totally do it, man. Fine, I will. Fine. Yeah. Ah. I like this. a Jimmy. I, th- I see it's a Jimmy Fallon game that he'll play. Oh that yeah, can, that you can sell to Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> I'm gonna ride this wave to a million dollars. Okay, Terrence. Yeah. <laughs> like this is it. I think this is the pinnacle of my career. <laughs> yes, <laughs> what's the, what's the show that spun off that the rap the the one where they cover lip sync lip sync oh, yeah. yeah lip sync uh, lip sync battle, battle right yeah. Yeah, exactly. this is the new lip sync battle yeah are you yeah. listening jimmy fallon um probably like everything you have done in counter-violent extremism <laughs> yeah. and all that work has culminated in this one stroke of genius executive <laughs> producer <Yes>. for <laughs> fight or no fine <laughs> priyank the global phenomenon exactly <laughs> oh man imagine you know it's so it's like you're only half kidding. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what works on social media anymore. I feel like that probably could be, could be something that would go. Yeah, viral. it could be quite fun. Yeah, yeah it could be quite it's pretty fun. funny. No yeah. idea. Um, no, but it's, uh, it is, it is, it is awesome to talk to you guys. And Singapore is a lovely city. And anyone listening who's not been there for themselves needs to go to the country of Singapore. Needs to experience it for themselves. There's so much to offer. It's like back and it's open. One of the coolest mm. things, by the way, we didn't really talk about this, but one of, one of the things I liked most about Singapore during the pandemic is they had a really practical, no-nonsense approach to the pandemic where they mm. clamped down when things were really bad. But then when things got better, they opened up. And, and you know, when they had vaccines and when they had protection, um, they allowed people to bring life back to normal. And it's just been really refreshing to see uh, a country like Singapore open up to visitors again. Yeah, actually, yeah, actually yeah, that also has a has a lot of nuance to it because yeah, broadly speaking, yes, retroactively, but there were times where it was like, what is going on? Yeah, but but the the problems that we faced during COVID, like yeah, correct, uh, you know, not being able to go out to clubs or not being able to hang out groups of five. So, I mean, in the larger scheme of of uh, things, it, I I feel like yeah, they, yeah, you, like I said, you gotta 
measure mm. that versus you know having having a space in the hospital or having enough oxygen tanks and things like that in the hospital. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you both so much for joining me, Harish and Terence. As I said up top, please check out their YouTube channel, Ministry of Funny. You can also stay tuned for a possible return of their TV show, She's a Terrorist and I Love Her. And of course, check out their podcast, Yeah La But, which is always an enjoyable listen. Special thanks to the team that helped put this podcast together. Faiza Saeed, Jannat Jain, Shivani Das, Praneet Metukuru. I'm your host, Priyank Mathur. This has been Comedians Explain the World. See you next time.